probably one of my new favorite books, I would say. It, um, there's a few things that interest me so much about it, but the main thing is the prophecy it talks about, right? So most of the time when we see prophecy in the Bible, like in Revelation or like uh, another end times related book, um, the thing about it is that we can't really point to people and say, this has been fulfilled yet because, you know, it's the end times. But in Isaiah, we see not only prophecy that was fulfilled through Christ, but we see prophecy that was actually fulfilled in the Old Testament. And so um, because of that, um, my, my, the other thing about it is that when you look at the writings on Isaiah, they're so interesting to me because not only are us Christians extremely interested in it because of the Messiah, but we also have the, the Jews who do not believe in Christ, and we also have um, basically liberal scholars who do not believe in the authority of Scripture. And so um, the idea is that when we see prophecy in Isaiah actually be fulfilled, for example, the, one of the, the more common prophecies that people talk about in Isaiah is the prophecy of King Cyrus. So um, if you've never heard of it, Isaiah prophesied the king that would release Israel from ca- captivity around 200 years before, fulfilled in the Old Testament. And so the Jews would point to that prophecy as well. But the idea is that because of that, this book is scrutinized a lot, right? People go through it. People who do not believe in the authority of Scripture, I call them the, like, so normally when we talk about liberals, I, I was making a joke that, like, Bernie Sanders hasn't written a book on Isaiah yet, and even if he did, I would, you know, I would probably read it out of curiosity, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, yeah, a lot, a lot we could say there, but um, we're talking about the people who, they don't claim that the Bible is written by God, they, they basically just claim that scripture is basically like a good read. It's like got some interesting principles. It's got some good stories that maybe we could relate to our own life, but it doesn't talk about, you know, the true Jesus. It doesn't talk about words that are from God. And so a lot of times people like to attack this book and say like, oh, like prophecy was added in later to, you know, make it look like it's from God when it's not. And so um, that's kind of my general, like why this book interests me so much. Today we're going to be talking about Isaiah chapter 42. Uh, only four verses today, but, you know, hopefully I'll, you know, I could talk about them forever. So if I talk too long, just kick me off, kick me off the stage. I'm sure, you know, my dad will do that. Um, but today we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 42, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 4 today. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 4. So it says this, Behold, my servant. Whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Um, let's just bow our heads real quick and let's just pray that God would help us understand these verses and hopefully that they would change our lives. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this day, Lord. I thank you um, for giving us just this weather, Lord. Thank you for giving us um, just everything we have, Lord, especially the scripture, especially the book of Isaiah today, that you explained um, what the Messiah would look like, that you explained what you would do, what your purpose was on this earth, Lord. 
Please help us in, live in light of this passage and what it means. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we're trying to think about what the theme of today is, or kind of what, what we're trying to explain about the Messiah, today we're actually talking about that the Messiah is one who brings justice. And I want you guys to think about for a second, kind of the opening question is, what does it mean for us in our lives that God comes to bring justice? Because that's really what this passage is, is all about. Um, this is one of the first four uh, songs. They're actually called the servant songs in Isaiah. You can look them up. Some of them are very famous. Um, but they're one of the, it's the first of four servant songs in Isaiah. And it's quoted in the New Testament by the apostles, by Matthew. Um, some of the other ones are quoted by Peter and Paul. And what we're kind of looking at today is we're looking at three aspects of this servant in Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4, so that you might understand the justice that the servant Jesus brings to the world. So um, let's just start out, and let's just start going through it. So um, we have the book of Isaiah. It is written in a time where Israel is probably about 100 years from being uh, taken into captive by Babylon. But this is an Israel who, for the most part, is very sinful against God. Right? We have, we have actually Judah recorded where every few kings will have a godly king, but right after that, we turn back to ungodliness. And so Isaiah is written to, first of all, talk about how punishment will come for sin that is done. And also it's kind of explaining to us what is happening in the future. Who's this ultimate fulfillment of the promise of David, which, spoiler alert, it is Jesus. Um, but if you, uh, so we obviously, as Christians, we believe that these four songs talk about Jesus Christ. And um, as we start, um, it's talking about this servant. And the servant is de- debated by, you know, we talked about um, Jewish scholars, liberal scholars. But the idea is that as Christians, we can't take it to mean anyone but Jesus because Matthew explains in Matthew chapter 12 that this is Jesus, right? And so if we hold to the New Testament being from God, we can't just say Matthew messed up on his interpretation of Isaiah or, you know, Matthew is just, you know, kind of stretching the truth. Like, we can't say that as Christians, but the reason why we, we kind of go through this is, um, one, is if you ever get into a conversation with, and this is, I would love to do this, like, if you ever get into a conversation with someone who is maybe, um, maybe a follower of Judaism, who doesn't think that, that Jesus was the Christ, or if you get into a conversation with people who study the Bible, but don't hold to Scripture's authority, then we need to be able to explain why did Matthew think that this was Jesus? What in the details point to that specifically? And I, I like to think of like real people that like I've heard of. So like for example, if I ever saw, for some reason get invited on like Ben Shapiro's show, I want to be able to explain to him why you know I think his Isaiah forty two interpretation is a little off, right? So, um, so that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about three aspects of. The servant in Isaiah chapter 42. I'm not sure if any of you are the type of person who's a bit um, like OCD. Like maybe you, you shovel your driveway in a perfect square. Or maybe you, you can't leave your house unless your bed is perfectly even and, and such. Like that's not, really, that's not really me so much. But uh, the thing about this, yeah, I know. 
everyone around me would know, you know, you know, we, we all have our faults. What, what can I say? Um, so the, the cool thing is Isaiah chapter 42 might be your new favorite, favorite um, chapter because it's perfectly split. Um, it's a song and it's perfectly divided into 12 lines of three sections with four lines each and each four lines kind of tell us something different. So it's like a very, it's a very even looking passage. Even if you look at it in your Bible, the, the verse numbers kind of confuse me a little bit, but it's four lines or it's three stanzas of four lines that are, that are um, that are kind of equal in length. And then the other thing is after every line, it kind of gives a parallel or it gives basically saying the same thing, but adding a little more depth. And so um, that's kind of how we're going to read it today. We're going to go every two lines and then we're just going to try to break down. Are we right by saying this is the Christ or did we stretch Isaiah 42 to mean something that it does not mean? So let's start out verse 1. So it says this, Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. So um, if we start out with this section, we are introduced. Obviously, it starts out and it says, behold, right? And so it's trying to, trying to draw our attention. It's trying to say, look over here. And so this is my first, my first little yeah, it's obviously like, you know, preachers always do this thing where they take one word, they talk 20 minutes about it, so I'll try not to do that with this. But, so the idea is that in the book of Isaiah, we are introduced to several servants that aren't Jesus. We're, in the previous chapters, we are introduced to Israel, the nation of Israel, and in later chapters, we are introduced to Cyrus, and then obviously throughout scripture, there has been a lot of people that has, have been called a servant of God, right? The prophets, we're talking about the kings. Uh, you could say, I am a servant of God, so how is this not talking about me? But it starts us out, and it says, look, behold. And I think that's the first little sign pointing to the fact that this is a different servant. This is a servant that you need to like look at. Like This is something that is different. This is something that is important. And then uh, the, next, the next verse, it says this, behold, my servant whom I uphold. So we already talked about the servant today. Um, and we already talked about how, as a Christian, we can't argue that this isn't, isn't Jesus because Matthew, like we, I don't think I'm smarter than Matthew. I don't think that Matthew, who's given revelation by God, is someone to be argued with in this sense. But um, we have to think about, real quick, what are the details of this servant passage and how does this point to Jesus? So the first line that says this is, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. So you kind of see how that little, he's kind of like repeating himself a little bit. He says, My servant, who I who I'm uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. But, um, so he talks about his servant, whom I uphold. So he's saying that it, it also talks about this idea of grasping. It talks about this idea that, he is very close with this servant. So it's talking about a personal connection that is very close. And then it says, my chosen, which, again, this, this could be referring to any servant. But then it says this, in whom my soul delights. Okay, so, for example, uh, and uh, sorry if I'm getting in the weeds a little too much with all this, like, Old Testament talk, but we are in the Old Testament. So, sorry. But, um, so, if we're talking about, for example, Cyrus, who released the Israelites from captivity... Or even, um, if you guys are familiar with Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the, the guy who, you know, threw Meshach, or, wow, now I just, 
Yeah, I don't even know my Bible stories now. I've got to watch some more VeggieTales, I guess. But um, the, the guy who threw those three guys into the fire, right? Um, we see he was, in a sense, used as a servant of God to punish Israel. But it's saying here that it is someone who God upholds and who he delights in. So just basically a random king who may or may not, I mean, it talks about Nebuchadnezzar becoming a Christian, but the idea is that if it's talking about who his soul delights in. So it's someone he has a personal close connection to. So when, you know, my liberal friends try to say, this is talking about Cyrus, I'd say, I don't, I don't know that, that the words are pointing to that. So um, we have my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. And then it says this, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So again, we're talking about a situation where it says God puts his spirit upon him, right? And again, maybe we could apply this to any servant. But it talks about that this servant is in charge of bringing justice, which is the theme of, the, of today. And it says justice. Who does it say that justice is to? If you, if you look down, you could... This is, this is how you're, I'm going to help you make your arguments against Ben Shapiro, right? Is um, look down at the words. It says that he is in charge. His job, this servant, is bringing justice to the nations. So if we were to look at any other servant of God who has ever lived, even a biblical character, a modern-day character, if you're talking about me, Caleb Osler, am I the servant? If we're talking about the nation of Israel, we have to think, does this person... Give justice to the entire world, to the nations. And I would say that most of us would say that, like, let's just say, for example, we think it's the nation of Israel. Most of us would say that that is heresy to say that the nation of Israel is used to save the whole world, which, um, and especially since they're such failures at following God at the time. And so, but let's talk about this. What does this justice mean in a sense? Because there's something that, I, there's, there's probably not a more clear um, principle that I see in the world that even Christians misunderstand. And that, like, through, like, we all understand what justice is. We all, we all understand that it is all wrongs being made right. It is that if something bad happens, it needs to be punished. And that there is an order throughout everything. And so, I think, let's just talk about Jesus for a second, because we know it's Jesus already. But when we talk about Jesus' justice, we talk about, first of all, that he came to earth to die on a cross for us so that we could be justified. And so that's kind of, it's, it's kind of has a bit of a double fulfillment in that, obviously, through the death of Jesus, we are justified. But obviously, there's a lot of disorder in the world right now. There's a lot of things that are not perfect. There's a lot of things that definitely need some justice. And the idea is that... Um, Justice will ultimately serve, be served by Christ as well at his second coming. And so it kind of has this double meaning of, and I also just kind of want you guys just generally to think about, like, well, how does my life look different when I realize that Jesus brings justice? And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. So, um, so if we want to summarize verses 1 through 4 as what aspects of the servant. So we're talking about three aspects of the servant in Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. And this first one is that he is the chosen servant. And specifically, he's chosen to bring justice to the entire world. All right, so the second point of this sermon is that this is a compassionate servant. 
So look down um, in the next line right here. It says this. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. So um, it, it outlines first a couple of things. First of all, it says he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. So um, I'm sure the Jews at the time who were receiving this prophecy, they, um, generally speaking, when we talked about Messiah, they would be thinking of a Messiah who conquers. They would be thinking of kings similar to that of the modern day who were very, um, very vocal about flexing their political power, their, um, their power over the land, their wealth, their ability in ruling. And it says that Jesus, or sorry, I just said Jesus, the servant, whoever that would be, um, is not the type of person who would do that sort of thing. And so the interesting thing is this passage is quoted in Matthew chapter 12, where Jesus is kind of going into a more quiet ministry. And then when we see there, there's always been a lot of confusion about like, on Palm Sunday, why were all, all, you know, the whole, all the people of Jerusalem praising Jesus, and then on the Friday, they crucified him? And I would say a lot of this was a, a huge misunderstanding of Isaiah chapter 42, because they thought their king was there to free them from the oppressive Romans. He thought he was there to, you know, take back Israel and to make it great again, I guess. Ha, got him. Uh, I, I heard that before I said it. I was like... I'm still going to say it. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, the idea was the Israelites thought that the Messiah was going to come to rule, to destroy, to make everything amazing. And yet he came in a quiet sort of way, right? He, uh, it even talks about his death, how he didn't really say a lot when he was being accused, right? When, um, when, when the Sanhedrin was accusing him, he was just kind of silent. He was just like, okay, you know, keep accusing me. And that is the description of the servant. And if we're talking about any other servant, that is not the description of any king that was around that that age. And also, even if uh, some people want to point to certain prophets, like let's talk about, and again, we're just going, you know, we're just talking about all the biblical characters today. But if we talk about Jeremiah, if you're familiar with Jeremiah, this was a prophet who suffered because he was trying to explain to Judah, how terrible of people they were, basically. But the idea is, if you read Jeremiah, he definitely cries aloud. He definitely is the type of person who, he complains to God and he says, God, why is my life so terrible? Which, I'm not saying I wouldn't do the same thing, I'm just saying, this servant points to someone who is different than not. So, um, next verse, it says this, a bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. So, if we think about kind of what um, that means, we're, we're kind of pointing back to the previous two chapters. Um, if if we, we look at Israel, if we want to describe what Israel was at the time, we are looking at Israel who, for the most part, is sinful, and for the most part, is an extremely tired, extremely weak Israel. And if you look in chapters 40 and 41, we get a lot of verses that are a bit famous, a bit... Um, like I think in chapter 40, if I remember correctly, there's like a, there's a worship song like, like 10 years ago or whatever that, um, the worship leader had his kid read Isaiah 40. And it's talking about how it's explaining to Israel, how that God gives power to the weak. He strengthens the powerless. 
And it talks about how um, those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. And so it's explaining this to a very weak people. It's explaining this, and then uh, all of Isaiah 41, do not fear, for I am with you. And then this ex- it explains that this servant will, it says, a bruised reed he will not break. And then it says, a smoldering wick he will not quench. And so we're really thinking about the picture here is something that is of very little value, something that is dying, something that is of almost no use to the world. It's like, it's like a candle burning out where it's like it doesn't really give any light. It's barely there. Maybe someday it could be revived. But for the most part, it's useless. And it says this servant has compassion on the lowly. And so it's kind of crazy to me how people look at this passage and they think like, oh, this is Israel. No, no, no. Israel was the person in need of compassion. Or we look at this, and I, we can't really see ourselves as anything but this, this picture of something that is useless without God and something that God has compassion on. But he's trying to explain this coming Messiah was not coming just to rule, just to reign. He was coming to show compassion on the earth. And it was, you know, Isaiah's, you know, giving us clues. And so uh, Matthew took these clues, and he explained it perfectly. Um, so... We have, first of all, in the first four lines, we had that Jesus, or sorry, the servant, is the chosen servant to deliver justice to the nations. Secondly, we have that he's the compassionate servant. And then thirdly, we have him as the faithful servant. The faithful servant. So um, look at the next line. It says this. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. So it starts us out and explains that Jesus is exactly the opposite of Israel in the sense of needing encouragement, of being the type of people who need to be, um, to just need some sort of rest, need some sort of um, reason to stay faithful. But uh, it's making a contrast between that. And I like to, I'm so... I'm a little bit bummed it's a small service today, actually, because I, I, I had a few jokes that were going to target some people who aren't here. But, um, but so I'm sure, I, I, I'm sure you can imagine, like, when I, when I have winter camp, or we have, we have winter camp coming up in February, a little, little plug, but um, we let the high schoolers go snowboarding, and every single year I talk to nor- it's normally high school guys who they're always, you know, they're always saying, like, they have a mission, they have... Like, they have a skill that they can perform. Like, they, they're, they're this nice at snowboarding. They can do this trick, um, which, which also really annoys me when people are trying new tricks at winter camp, and uh, I would just prefer them to try when their parents have to take them to the hospital. But, but, but anyways, we, we always have these snowboarders who, you know, they're talking about a big, big game, and then they get back, and I ask, like, hey, how'd it go? And they'll be like, they'll give a lot of excuses, you know. They'll say, oh, it was icy. Oh, you know, the skiers were just everywhere. And um, there's a lot of, a lot of excuses. Um, but the idea is that most humans, just like us, we are, generally speaking, unfaithful. Generally speaking, we say we have a mission. We say we have a skill. We say we have something to offer. And normally we fall short. We say, how many times have we ever said, like, this next year, I'm going to finally take um, my walk with the Lord seriously, or I'm finally going to take that next step, and we do not, 
Well, it says here that fortunately, this servant, with the most important job of all time, uh, one of his attributes is being perfectly faithful. And it says that it basically, in this line, it just says the same thing, that he, his job is to, to bring justice, but he's faithful to do so, meaning that he will not fail in the most difficult task that, that ever came known to man, right? Wouldn't it be terrible if Jesus came to earth and, you know, the hardship of earth, the hardship of bearing the weight of the world on his shoulders, that he wasn't faithful to act in order that we could be justified? And so um, this really, and not to get back to this, but this really contrasts any other person you could imagine in this passage, right? If we're talking about a prophet, if we're talking about a king, if we're talking about, maybe this is talking about me. Well, um, no, it's not, actually. It's talking about a servant who is way better than you. And so uh, it's, it's talking about someone who never fails, who is always faithful, and who is faithful for the most important, um, important task ever. And uh, to talk a little bit more about Israel. So um, a lot of people would say that just because the previous chapters are talking about Israel as the servant. We just have to take, this is talking about Israel. But the idea is, Israel was not faithful. Even if you read, if, if you read the Old Testament, you will find that Israel is given a job by the Lord, which is to be a blessing to the nations. Or it, it talks about in, I'm not going to make you turn there, but in Exodus chapter 19, in Mount Sinai, he explain, God explains that Israel is supposed to be a kingdom of, of priests, meaning they're supposed to be the nation through, with, through which they, uh, the rest of the world can have a relationship with God. And we see in the Old Testament that most of Israel didn't even have a relationship with God and that they weren't faithful to be this agent of salvation. And so it's actually making a very important comparison between the servant Israel and the servant Jesus, and how the servant Jesus basically took care of what Israel could not. And that's very fair for our own lives, too, in that, like, we have a commission by God. Like, we have a responsibility to um, do his work, and yet Jesus is the perfect servant and the perfect example for all of us. So, um, it says um, this um, in verse 40, right? I kind of already talked about this, but... Um, you don't have to turn there either. You can look at it later. But it says this in the last part. It says this, But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagle. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so again, I explained already, but Israel is so tired, so weak, just like us most of the time. And yet it's describing the type of person that Jesus ultimately was and that no other human in the history of existence has been. So um, we have a couple more verses to go through. Last two verses. Um, uh, next line. It says this Till he has established his justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. So I love this. It's, it's a bit of a repeat, but I love the, the imagery here. It's saying that when it talks about the coastlands, just imagine this being written in Israel. They were imagining the farthest off land. Like they're probably imagining where we are right now. They're like, even California will be affected by this justice that the servant brings. And so when we point back, we say, well, this can't be talking about any king of Israel. This couldn't be talking about Cyrus because when's the last time you all talked about Cyrus? Probably not recently because he's not as nearly as impactful as Jesus was. And it says that he will establish justice in the earth 
and the coastlands wait for his law. Like this, this picture that in the farthest island of everywhere in the world, people are waiting for Jesus to come back <clears throat> and to bring justice upon the world, to bring true rule, true perfect um, government that we could all um, be living justice, right? And I, I love the picture of, of justice that this gives here because we think about justice, we normally have, um, we normally have a couple reactions to it, right? I love to think about how, have you ever been um, extremely exet, uh, like mad and furious if you like watch someone who is a murderer just get off their sentencing? Or if you've ever seen someone who's, like, who's released and you're like, why would they release him? He did such a bad thing. The idea here that this verse is trying to let us know is that that is Israel and that that is us. That there's this idea that when we talk about justice, it's talking about how Every wrong will be made right. And so unfortunately, if you've done wrongs, there is reason that you will be punished. And obviously, Jesus, as a fulfillment of this verse, dies on the cross so that we could be justified for that. But we really do need to point to this idea that a prime, prime portion of Jesus' ministry and a prime reason for why he comes to earth both times is to establish justice, right? We, we often talk about Jesus, you know, Jesus loves me, or Jesus is caring, or uh, Jesus is compassionate, which this, uh, which this passage definitely highlights. But we need to think of Jesus Christ, um, first and foremost, as a person who establishes justice. And I always like to think about that, in my opinion, is the number one reason a lot of people miss when they study the end times, because their, ser- their central character should be Christ, right? If you study Revelation, if you study any of the end times passages, you'll see that Christ is the center character of that. And a lot of us, we don't do that. We leave Christ out of that. We leave Christ out of our lives. And we forget that he is the servant who's called to bring justice to the world. So um, with that being said, um, what we talked about today, we talked about that There is this servant of justice mentioned in Isaiah chapter 42, which Matthew thinks is Jesus, and I agree with Matthew because I'm a Christian and I believe in the word of God. Um, We've talked about three aspects of this servant. We talked about that he's the chosen servant to bring justice. He's the compassionate servant who will be compassionate towards those who are basically useless, basically not giving anything of their own. And we talked about how he is the faithful servant in that he will faithfully deliver justice. He's not like us where we make promises we can't keep or we do things that um, we say we're going to do, but we don't. And he is perfect to execute the most important job ever. So as we close, I just have two questions for you all to think about just in light of this servant of justice. Um, So one, do you live in light of the servant of justice being a reality meaning is do you live as a person who looks out at the world and has peace that comes from the spirit knowing that Jesus will bring justice to all we we see this all the time i see <clears throat> a lot of people who fight for justice in the world which i you know definitely uh, support but the idea is that like if you look at america if you look at you know the people in the world generally speaking we don't see a people who think they're is going to be justice through God. We see a people who think they're responsible for bringing justice. They're responsible for being angry about all the injustices of the world, which, 
again, they bother me too. But we must, must think of them in light of what Jesus will do for us. And then uh, the second final question is, are you appreciative for the faithful character of Jesus in spite of our failings, right? Do, are we honest about ourselves with our own faithfulness? Like, do we think through, like, do we think through our lives and think, I am so unfaithful, but thank the Lord that he gives a servant who is perfectly faithful and perfectly willing to execute the most important job in the world of saving the world of its sins and bringing justice once and for all. So that being said, um, I'd like you all to bow our heads and let's just thank the Lord for giving us this servant of justice that we could be saved. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. I thank you so much for Isaiah 42, that we could really just see Jesus being prophesied way in advance, Lord, that you explain who Jesus is, what his job is, and how he would bring justice to the world to save us from our sins, to right all the wrongs, Lord. And so please help us live in light of that. Please help us be people who realize what you do for us. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.